Evil to the right hand, puts her down, he's gonna jump him hard to the ice. Brady Leopold just loves to fight. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome Warrior. My dream of being a professional hockey player became a reality, but it was all taken away from me in a very short period of time. For many years, hockey was my outlet. Hockey was my drug. When I had a stick in my hand, nothing else mattered. I was able to break into the Western Hockey League in 2004, and I even won the Swift Current Broncos Rookie of the Year. During the summer of my rookie year, I experimented with drugs for the first time. After just seven games in my sophomore season, I walked away from the Swift Current Broncos due to personal reasons. Nobody knew I had been sexually abused at the age of five. I did everything to hide it from everybody, but I just couldn't take it. Drugs and alcohol now took over my life. I did return to the Swift Current Broncos as a 19-year-old, but things were never the same. I was eventually traded to the Kelowna Rockets in my final year of junior where I got to play on a line with the Dallas Stars captain, Jamie Benn, and one of my best friends, the extremely talented Colin Long. It was by far my best season ever, and I even signed with the Tampa Bay Lightning's organization. A dream come true, right? That's when everything went wrong. First it was the cocaine, then came the Oxycontin, and that led me into a 12-year journey into the deepest pits of hell. Within two years, I had now made the switch to heroin, fentanyl, and everything in between, and I was now an intravenous drug user. Multiple suicide attempts and over five trips to the psych ward, I was a shadow of who I once was. By 2014, I was homeless on Hastings in Vancouver, the worst street in North America. By 2015, I was a wanted criminal, making the Crime Stopper headlines more than once. After spending three years in jail, I had completely given up. With nowhere to turn and nowhere to go, I finally started to get honest. I took a chance and made some major changes. This is my story. I overdosed over 10 times. I'm one of the lucky ones. And for that, I will always be grateful. This is for all the men and women we've lost. Matthew Lazinski, Mitch Fadden, this one's for you. My name's Brady Leibold, and I've been to hell and back. This is the road to recovery. What is going on, everybody? Welcome. Episode number 88, Hockey to Hell and Back. Of course, I'm Brady Lebel, coming at you guys live from beautiful Muskoka. I said it last show. I'm enjoying these ODRs. I never had the chance to do it as a kid. I love it. It's contributing immensely on the positive side to my mental health. Uh, I know a lot of kids out there are struggling, especially in Ontario. Hockey looks like it might be starting up, but who knows? Um, but I'll tell you, get out there, get active. If you have the opportunity to get on the outdoor rink, man, get out there. Enjoy it. Yesterday was Bell Let's Talk Day. Um, I want to give a shout out to Bell. They do a lot of great work. Uh, I think we they bring a lot of awareness. They raise a lot of money. I'm wearing my purple puck support hoodie today with Matthew Lazinski's name in it. I also have one with Mitch Fadden's name in it. Um, Matthew Lazinski, second round pick to the Sioux Greyhounds. Really the first story hockey player that I heard of an overdose. Um, 
lost his hockey career at 18 years old uh, to addiction and uh, ended up passing away in 2017 to an overdose. And from there, I started to uncover multiple stories of suicides and overdoses in our great game of hockey, including some of my friends and former, even one of my former coaches. And uh, when I think of Bell Let's Talk Day, guys, I, I think... I think mental health. I think there's a stigma around mental health still. I think it's come a long ways. But when I think of addiction, mental health and addiction, they coincide. If you have a mental illness, doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to have an addiction. But I'll tell you, through my experience of addiction, all the hell that I went through, homelessness, incarceration, psych wards, everywhere, 90% of the people that were in jail, for one, were in there for an addiction-related issue that was stemmed from an underlying mental illness that was never treated or a past trauma. So when we look at mental health, I really would encourage everybody to look at addiction the same way because the stigma around addiction is so much, we have so much further to go with that than we do with mental health. So if we want to contribute on the mental health side, we need to start looking at addiction and why people are addicted. Anyways, that's all I'm going to say. I appreciate all of you guys being here. If you're watching live, thank you. Press that like button. Share it with your friends. If you're listening after the fact, thank you so much. We're going to hear quickly from Regan Bartel and Team Issued, and we'll be right back with two-time Stanley Cup champ, Chris Versteeg. Hi there, it's Regan Bartell, the play-by-play voice of the Kelowna Rockets, Brady Leopold's biggest fan. Team Issued is connecting all walks of life. Team Issued does this by recreating that special feeling of being a part of something bigger. A community for all striving towards the same goal. Teamissued.ca, promo code TOEDRAG15 for 15% off. All right, shout out Regan Bartel, as always, and Jesse Paradise. I'm waiting for a new package from Team Issued. Should be here today. I'm excited about that. They've been with us since uh, the third show, which is like 147 shows ago or something like that. So thank you, Jess, former Kelowna Rocket teammate of mine, uh, supported me on very early on, was one of my first guests. And Jess, I never, ever will forget that. And I appreciate it. Yeah, and I love you, buddy. Anyways, let's get to the reason why you guys are all here. You hear me talk enough. Uh, I'm excited for this show. Uh, I had an opportunity to play against this guy uh, for a brief time in the Western Hockey League, our past cross. And I'll tell you, he had... Uh, probably better chirps than me. Maybe the only guy that I ever played against that chirped me. And I just was like, uh, 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 okay, Mr. Versteeg, I'll just shut up and go to the bench. Kind of funny. So I'm excited about that. He went on to have just an unbelievable uh, NHL career after being drafted in 2004 in the fifth round by the Boston Bruins. Shout out the Boston Bruins. I know you guys watch the show. I'm surrounded by Bruins gear. I'm doing the show from Harry Sinden's niece's basement, actually. So I don't know if Chris ever met Harry Sinden during his time in Boston, but that's where I'm at. So there's a connection to Boston. He went on to win two Stanley Cups with the Chicago Blackhawks, um, rounded out his career with the Calgary Flames, went to Europe. Now, now he's doing something incredible because as I've noticed, a lot of guys have a lot of trouble trying to find their way after hockey. And he's really onto something with his brother, who I also played against, Mitch Versteeg in the WHL. I don't want to butcher any more of his facts. He was a NHL all rookies got, we're going to hear all about it. Let's just bring him in because I know he's got a place. He's got places to go. And I wish I was going to, and I'm sure we're going to talk about that. So let's do it guys. Without further ado, originally from Lethbridge, Alberta, Chris Versteeg. 
Hey, man. Thanks for having me. I got to say that that uh, intro is incredible. I was I was having chills. So, um, man, it, what a different world the WHL was in those early 2000s. And good thing I had good chirps because you would have caved my face in if I ever fought you. So, <laughs> Man, it was uh, I just remember, uh, you know, you're one of those guys, actually, you and John Lammers. Uh, there was one game where I think you guys had played uh, for, for Dean at the under 18, Dean Chanel. Yeah. I think the year before yeah. so you guys were like all over Dino and it was like the first time that I'd ever seen anybody chirp Dino and you trip me. I'm like, who are these guys? Cause I was new to the league. Right. And I think you guys both lit it. I think you guys both had like five or six point nights against us that night. And I was like, Whoa. Right. And uh, obviously got to watch you go on and have just a spectacular career, man. So congratulations on all the success that you had uh, throughout your hockey career. And also congratulations on all the stuff you're working on today, which is super exciting. We're going to hear all about uh, before we get into that, Chris, I always open the show and, it, you know, it's always a similar answer, but I got to know uh, the love of hockey growing up in Lethbridge. You got your younger brother uh, who also followed in your footsteps, played for the Hurricanes. And uh, tell me a little bit about your love for the game and kind of what it did for you early on. Yeah, it's it's really everything. I think I look at my brother as my, you know, he's my first teammate. He was my last teammate when I retired and he's now a teammate with mine on my new venture. So the love of hockey started at a young age. And I just remember I got an old Lethbridge Broncos stick prior to the hurricanes. They were called the Lethbridge Broncos. And I had a green stick and I would play with it every day. I'd go outside and play with the neighbor kids. And then when my brother was old enough, he's born in 88, I believe. Are you born in 88 as well? Or? 80, 87. I'm a year old. Sorry. Yeah. And uh, so I would play with them every day on the street. And again, back in those days, once we started to get six, seven, eight, nine, ten, we'd play in the winter. And we would never have spring hockey. Like there was nothing with spring. It was when it's done. So we would be on the street every single day playing hockey. It was full contact on the lawn. Not yeah. saying kids should do that today, but it was full contact on the lawn. And it's kind of something that each and every day, every time you get older and older, you you watch hockey on TV. It's a little different than the highlights now. But you watch hockey on TV. You go pretend you're Peter Forsberg out on the road. And you start to fall in more love with the game each and every minute, each and every second. So I think that's just was how it was gradually building over time. And then once you kind of get to an age, you start to realize you're really good at it, right? And if you part, start to put more time into maybe fitness and, and that stuff, it could take you to another level. So I think that's where I started to transition a little bit mentally. But um, again, first back to my brother, that's that's my first teammate. He's the one who helped me fall in love. We, we challenge each other every time. And he's more of a guy that could challenge you in a fight. He's more... Yeah. You know, he's sick. I think he did, and I think he did, and I might have turned him down. Maybe there's no, know. there's no way you would have turned him down. But like I said, he's he would cave my face in too. So I wouldn't fight either or any of you. But he's he's that type of guy. He's tough. He's a big guy, and and he loved to play that way. But yeah, we challenge each other every game, and I guess that's how I fell in love with the game. Just being out there with him every day. That's awesome. It's uh, it's a great story. I love I love when there's that brother connection. And uh, obviously, he looked up to you tremendously. And I kind of want to know, because you guys are from Lethbridge, and, and that's where you got your start in the Western Hockey League. And I don't believe you were drafted to the Western Hockey League. But holy shit, man, did you uh, contribute like right away? And all of a sudden, uh, uh, you know, things took a turn for the better for you. It's like you're not drafted. So I want to know how your start in the WHL came, how were you feeling when that draft came? You didn't get drafted, and now all of a sudden you're getting an opportunity to play for your hometown team. Well, as you knew in those days, if you were 14 and you didn't have a beard, you probably <laughs> weren't getting drafted, right? That's the first thing a scout would look for is like, do you got a beard or are you six feet tall? Because if you're not, 
that's just, it was like the, there was, remember it was hooking, holding, slashing, like my first three, two years, two and a half years in the WHL was the old rules. Right. Yep. So you'd go out there and I'd be playing against, um, Bugard and Scheffelmeyer and guys that are like six foot eight, six <laughs> foot seven, and they're trying to kill you every shift. Right. Yep. So that's why you had to be bigger. But at, at 14, I wasn't drafted. I was undersized. I played double a the next year I was 15. Uh, and I played AAA. There was me, Devin Setaguchi, Rob Klinkhammer, again, another undrafted player. And we all got listed. Well, Devin got drafted because he was a first year. And then me and Rob got listed. And then next year I was 16 and I went to the hurricane camp. But actually a funny story, previous to the hurricane camp, I was in Crowsness Pass trying out for the junior A team and I got cut. Mm. I absolutely lit up camp, but the coach came up to me and said I was too small to make it as a 16-year-old in junior A. And I was kind of like, okay. I then went to the WHL camp, had the exact same type of camp, but I made the WHL team. So not many people know that, that I was actually cut by a junior A team as a 16 year old prior to making a WHL team. And wow. for those who don't know that, like junior A is a, is a significant level below the WHL, right? Yeah. Not so maybe different in today's game, but in those days, it was a significant level difference. Huge, huge difference. And I think like I always say, and you know, you look at the, there's so many different rankings now and I've, I've been away from hockey. I'm just sort of getting back into it these last few years. So to come to terms with the fact that the USHL might be better than the CHL or whatever, like I was just like, there's no way. But when we were playing the Western league, especially you prior, cause you played a couple years before me, like you were mentioning, it was just a different game back then. It was the, it was it was the West. It was a wild, wild West. Like if you see those videos and as an undersized guy going into that, like how did you feel and how were you able to, to play through that? Were you just confident in your ability and you started to contribute like offensively and then you kind of realized that maybe you have some guys around to protect you or like what did that look like and uh, how was it for you like living at home? Was there extra added pressure or was that just a dream come true? It was, there was a lot of extra added pressure, especially in those days. Lethbridge never had anyone born and raised in Lethbridge in like 40 years to really, truly come from there. It was like Vic Stasiak and, and Earl Ingerfield, I believe his name is, were like the last true Lethbridgeans to like be born in Lethbridge and be raised all the way through and then play. So I felt there was a lot of pressure. I was, again, super undersized. I had a lot of teammates that took care of me. If you know DJ King, one of the toughest guys in NHL history. Yeah. Um, Derek Parker was my line mate. Uh, Paul McBrien, Sean Maisie, uh, Callaway. Like these were all guys on one team, right? I had two heavyweights lining up to me. One guy's DJ King, the other's Derek Parker, maybe the fighting record of all time. And then Paul McBrien. So like I had guys take care of me and surround me, but I also had to have a bit of a screw loose as you know yeah like, you did but in today's game like especially the last half of my nhl career there was not one game where i went into that game scared to play a hockey game like i was like whatever if i get hit tonight whatever the first half of my nhl career and especially in the ahl and the whl almost every night i would be scared that i was literally maybe not going to wake up the next day like someone was going to hit me in the head because remember hitting in the head was fully legal in those days yeah side shots uh, some big guy was going to grab me in a line brawl because we got in line brawls every other game. Right. And basically I was just there to bear hug someone. So it, it was just such a different thing. So I would swing my stick at guys, arms, heads, wherever, right? Like yeah. legs. I didn't give a shit. <laughs> I was like, fuck this. I don't, sorry if I can't say yeah, it. Yeah. Go have at her, dude. It's so, so, yeah. So I was like, I'd be like, fuck this man. Like I'm going to swing my stick. Like it, I'm chopping a tree because if I don't do this and show that I got some bite back, I'm going to get literally taken advantage of on the ice. Like they're going to chirp me and come after me. And especially as a smaller guy, right? Because when you see a smaller guy, 
even me as a smaller guy in those days, when I used to see a smaller guy, I'm like, I'm going after that guy. Finally, there's someone like, you know, smaller than me. And I, I mean, I'm 5'10", but I'm not like tiny. You know, I wasn't tiny. And in today's game, when I, especially when I retired, I'd walk around the room. There's like eight guys that are 5'11", 5, 5'10", 5, 5'7". You know what I mean? So back then, 5'10", you'd be like, okay, there's a guy 5'9", I'm coming after you, you know. But again, it was, I think I had a bit of a screw loose. It was a little bit of my upbringing, again, playing with my brother, where we grew up in the north side of Lethbridge. It's a tough area and just that kind of mindset. And then uh, and then just, again, loving to be an underdog, you know, having a chip on my shoulder. Maybe I carried that with me a little too much at times, but that was just who I was and how I grew up. And I mean, I don't I don't apologize for it. It was just how I had to be in order to survive in those days. Yeah. If, if you don't have that chip on your shoulder, there's no way that that you're achieving the success that you did uh in hockey and i think it's a really important story there too and regardless if the game has changed or not and you know there's a lot of players will go undrafted in in the ohl whl whatever drafts and and feel like their careers might be over right their dream is over um but it's so early on and you're just such a prime example of that you go from being undrafted uh you know you walk on pretty much as a list as a 16 year old contribute right away and the following year, you know, you're just under a point of game, 10 points under a point of game or whatever. And then you're selected to the under 18 team. And it's like, holy. And these are usually uh, for people that know, like the Canadian under 18 team, it's usually full of like guys that were first rounders in the dub. There's few and far between or guys, non-drafted guys playing in the U18. And, you know, you did you contributed, you did well. And now all of a sudden you're in a spot where, you know, you're, you're going to get drafted. So tell me at 17, how that felt. That must've felt pretty damn good, man. Yeah, it was crazy. I still remember, you know, playing out that year. I had a really good year and no one was going to, like, I was on no one's draft radar. They used to have like the NHL rankings for draft. I think there's only two rankings back in the day. It was like Redline report maybe or something. Yep. And I wasn't in any report to be drafted. And I, and I, you know, I was, I think I was top 10 and 17 year old scoring that year or 10 or whatever, maybe eighth or ninth. And, um, no one had me ranked. I didn't think I was going to get drafted. So I didn't really, I didn't really think about it. Like I went to, I remember the night I went to my graduation, right. And I, I went out and I got hammered at my graduation and I woke up on the lawn the next day. Uh, Cause they used to give you bracelets of your, your, uh, where you lived. Right. So I got dropped off in front of my house and my ex-girlfriend's like dragging me off the front lawn. And my mom's like, you got drafted. That kind of just brings you in the mindset of like my draft that day and where I actually thought I was going to be. But uh, like back up about a month for team Canada, same thing. I was like, season's done. I'm going to go party. Right. I never thought I was going to play team Canada. Not one person told me I was going to play team Canada until about a week and a half after the season, my agent called me. And I was at a party and I was with some of my friends and he's like, Hey, you better uh, get ready to go play for Canada. And I was like, Canada, like, are you kidding me? So I remember just, I went right home. I was with Setaguchi. We're just hanging out at his house and I went right home and uh, I started to prepare. I didn't know if I was going to make it quite yet. And that's when Dean Chanel, he called me a few days later and told me I was going to play. So that's, that's kind of my mindset. It was just like, whatever. I was just kind of like, I had a chip on my shoulder to be better than all these first rounders and everyone. But I also didn't think I was ever going to be drafted or play for team Canada. So it didn't really, so again, I was just hanging out with my friends, like a regular teenager. <laughs> well, that's awesome. And like, you know, I think it's, it's 
it's crazy, right? Like when you think about the mindset, you're you're not thinking you could draft and how quickly things can change. And then all of a sudden you're you're wearing the red and white. It's a huge dream come true, I'm sure. Amazing, yeah. um, and then, you know, draft day rolls around and you're selected by the Boston Bruins original six team. Um, and you get your you get your start with them anyways in the American League with Providence. Did you play with Ned down there by any chance, Lukasovic at all? Yeah. Or no, sorry, I missed Ned Lukasovic by one year, I believe. Okay. He came so I was twenty. 19 and 20, I played with the Providence Bruins, like at the end of my 19-year-old year, and he came when he was 21. Okay, so, yeah. He was my line, he was my line mate as a kid, like every second year growing up. And and that's a stud, right? Back in the day. Like he first rounder and like yeah. So like so good. He's been on the show. I talked to him uh still. He just recently retired over in Europe, but yeah, just basic pure speed, explosiveness, and skill. I'm not sure I ever you know, saw another guy like that. There was just some missing other elements to his game that he couldn't put together, I think. But for example, Dean traded for him uh, from Spokane to Swift and his first game in Swift Current, he got five goals and four of them, he just wound up behind the net and went through everybody. His first yeah. game in Swift, like five goals. And then, it, you know, after that, it was just kind of, there's a lot, but it was when those big moments came, he was able to like, you know, lift his game. But I just had to ask, um, tell me a little bit about going into pro now as, uh, you know, you had a great dub career and drafted, U18s um, feeling pretty confident but now you're going to pro and 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 now are you feeling like you said a little scared like where's your mindset going into pro and how prepared were you and did you ever feel underprepared like going to your first pro camp or anything like that being like holy shit this is next level this is a it's kind of funny actually so when I was 18 and 19 I kind of so especially 19 I kind of drifted away from focus I guess I was getting in trouble a little bit and I had issues maybe with a coach and got traded and um from there I was actually put on defense as a 19 year old for the Red Deer Rebels so I played as a 19 year old as a D-man the whole year and then Boston was pissed and they you know they didn't want me to be a D-man and and Red Deer wanted me to and which is fine I think going to play defense was the best thing ever for me but at the start of that year I went to Boston as a 19 year old had an incredible camp like had an awesome camp. And then I came back, played the year in the in junior, had a horrible year, I thought for my standards of where I was at. And so I, and then by the end of it, it sounded like Boston didn't want to sign me. They were done with me. Right. But the coach thought I had such a good camp. The AHL coach thought I had such a good camp as a 19 year old or 18 turning 19 year old at that camp. He's like, I want to bring Chris in at the end of this season. So Scott Gordon, I owe him a lot, brought me in at the end of my 19-year-old year. So I went from playing DL year in Red Deer, last place team, to going to Providence, and I played really good as a forward. And that gave me a minimum NHL entry-level contract. Like I signed minimum 450, 450, 475, I think it was, and then I took $75,000 bonus when everyone else was lighting up, taking like million, three-quarter million dollar bonuses in those days, if you remember, prior to the uh old lockdown yeah all the guys driving their escalades like yeah. he showing up to the rink in his escalade <laughs> exactly those guys yeah like seabrook all them signed yeah. like tons of money so i went in as a 19 had a really good year in pro uh sorry end of the pro year and then as a 20 year old i went back to providence i put on 20 pounds that summer i went to work between my 19 year old and 20 year old summer i went from 165 pounds to 185 and i just ultimately focused on just being the best I could be. And I didn't give a shit. I was also pissed. I didn't make the world junior team. And I was also pissed at myself for how things went with myself and others. So I took blame for it as well. Right. I accepted responsibility, but I went to work that summer 
And I went to Boston, had an awesome camp. And then I went and had the best year of my career. Probably yeah. I had 72 points in 70 games as a 20 year old year. And uh, I, th I believe me and David Krejci are still the only 20 year olds to hit 70 points in the AHL in the last like 20 years. Right. So like, I had an incredible year. Flash gave me a chance. I got traded at the end of the year to Chicago. But overall, it was like I was working at Sport Check like six months prior. Like I was still working at Sport Check selling rollerblades and hard goods before that 20-year-old season started, right? <laughs> yeah, like, Holy shit. Yeah, I was like making commission, you know. And and uh, the one guy, he played in the NHL. McLaren, or, uh, he played for uh, – remember the guy with the yellow tinted visor? Why can't I, Dean McLaren or why can't I remember his brother pl played with the yellow visor for San Jose in Boston. Oh, I, I, gotta, I, I can't remember, but anyways, his brother was my boss, right? At sport check for three <laughs> years. So yeah, again, I was like, again, selling hard goods basically at, at sport check and, and bathing suits. Right. And then all of a sudden I'm playing pro and having one of the best years of my life. So, um, Kyle McLaren. Kyle Mc yes. So his brother's Dean. So Kyle's from Coldale or around that area. And Dean was the manager of sport check. So yeah, like I was working for that for him. Great guy. So I was working for him. And then all of a sudden it's like life just went on. Like I put in the work that summer and all of a sudden it went from that to like being a real pro hockey player and um, starting to exceed my expectations and others. So yeah, I, I felt I was so ready for that year. Yeah. And then after that year, I mean, in, just in, in Providence alone, prior to moving to Norfolk, where I played for a short period of time as well, but Providence, you had, you know, 49 points in 43 games as a 20 year old or whatever. It's like, that's yeah. a lot. That's like well over a point a game. Um, 2007, 2008, you get your first shot in the show, 13 games, and you contribute right away. Two goals, two assists, four points. What was it like scoring your first NHL goal? And did you expect to get called up when it happened? Um, my first NHL goal game, I wasn't expected to play that game. I actually had a back injury and I couldn't, I didn't know my first NHL call up though was a little different. I didn't expect to get, uh, or I, I was hoping to get called up cause I kind of had a rough start to the season, but then I turned it on and I was driving to the airport or I was driving to a game with uh, Jalmerson and I got a call from Al McIsaac that I'm going to go play in Calgary. So I played my first ever NHL game in Calgary in front of all my friends. Wow had like all my old coaches, everyone there, like over a hundred people. So my first, first game was the most surreal moment of my life. You know, I'm lining up, as you know, I'm lining up to Jerome McGinley, right. And Robert Lang's my centerman and Craig Conroy's taking a face off and I have the picture of it. And I still have the, like the very vivid memory in my mind, like, Oh my God, like three years ago, I was like, you know, cheering on the flames in a cup run with like a like a flame puck on my head saying go Iggy. And now he's cross checking me off the face off, you know? So it was like, it was one of those moments. It was like a video game. almost. Yeah. I, I couldn't really put it into words. And then um, my first NHL goal, again, I got called up. I had a back injury, but then came up after the new year and I played a really good game in Phoenix. And I shot, I think it was to tie the game. I shot the puck going wide and it went off Keith Ballard's ass and then the net. So it was a real lucky goal. But I just remember at that moment, I'm like, I scored a goal on the show. Like yeah. you scored a goal. So Nobody just, can take that away from you ever. Even if it is it's like, yeah, you scored. They don't ask how they ask how many and you got one to one. And then, and then you just kind of went from there. And like, I want to kind of move into where you're at now. And I want to talk a little bit, a little bit about Stanley cup. Obviously I think you probably get asked about it all the time. Um, but 
like, where were you at, like, mentally, like, through all of this? You said you had a bit of challenges. You don't have to go too deep into it, Chris. But, like, were there times uh, throughout your, you know, early career that that maybe you had some, you know, self-doubt or, or hard moments or a time when there was a possibility where you maybe po- could have went down a darker road and, oh, and that? A hundred percent. A hundred percent. Especially in my junior career. Like, really close, right? Um I would say my 18 year old year was the closest. And then, you know, going to Red Deer was a good thing for me. Daryl, uh, Brent Sutter was such a good person to me and he helped me. He was hard as hell on me, um, but he helped me kind of come out of that funk. Again, I didn't have a good year and I felt bad for not playing good for him. But I mean, all in all, I think it was an amazing experience and it helped me. But that year I look back and that was worrisome. And also one year pro, I mean, I had like three surgeries in a short amount of time. Right. And when you're just constantly, basically, um, when you're, you're in pain all the time and then you're, you go to surgery, you, you, you know, you have to recover. You got it. You basically, you're just sleeping and taking pain pills for like two straight weeks. Right. And then you wake up and then all of a sudden you got to like get back at it and recover. Um, those are times where I start to look back. I'm like, I could have went down a dark path like you really could have. Right. And you see why it happens, especially in sports. Um, and especially for the guys that go through a ton of injuries. And I went through a ton of like, again, five or six major surgeries in six years. So that's a lot of like, that's a lot of mental anguish. Like you're always wanting to move ahead as an athlete, but you're, you know, you stay here and you move ahead in the summertime, but you keep falling back and you're hoping just to get back to level playing ground. And then you fall back again because another surgery, and then you start digging yourself a big mental hole, right? And it it can go sideways quickly. And I, I'm very thankful for my family and my brothers uh, and friends for getting me through those times. My you know my wife as well. Um, when we got married in 2014, that was kind of a really hard time for me. But there there's aspects I look back and I think yeah I could have went sideways fast. And and kind of you touching on that like, I I mean in the last little while I know another three hockey players that have now passed away OD and. Um, it's sad. It's really hard, right? Like, you know, so many as well. And you can always see maybe there's that, that time where maybe if they had an outlet or someone to reach out to, or someone to talk to, or even just to feel trusted with that, that could have helped turn that clock. And I was very fortunate to have those people around me and support me. Yeah. And it's, well, I'm I'm happy to hear that. And then it's, it's, it can happen so quickly and unfortunately has happened to way too many. I know you play, I believe you played with Clay Plume in, in yeah. Lethbridge and uh, you know, uh, Mitch Fadden was a WHL all-star drafted by Tampa, passed away from a fentanyl overdose in 2017. And yeah, Tim Callahan, he played in uh, uh, the oil barons. He's from Lethbridge. Um, there's, Derek Wiest, who's a really good friend of mine growing up, he played junior B generally, same thing about six months ago. So these guys are good friends. Um, it's horrible to not see them here anymore. And they were, they, they were contributing to society. You know, they have, a lot of them had kids, Clay had kids and same with has and same with Derek. And, you know, I just send my love to their families. I'm a part owner of uh, Verset hockey school and Derek's family is a part owner of the school too. So we're really close to them. Right. Um, so there's been a lot, a lot of issues. And my old roommate, Jeremy Domus, just died of overdose. Yes, yes, he's, he, um, he's actually, so all these pictures, Chris, uh, they're not all up here, but every single picture here is a hockey player who's either taken their own life or died of overdose. And actually, Jeremy is right yeah. here. Yeah. 
So he's on my Instagram. You can see him. He's my roommate for two years. I, I didn't know that. I didn't know that. In Norfolk, yeah, he was a beauty. One, I've, heard, I've heard that. Oh, my goodness. One of the craziest fuckers ever. I'm going to, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to send you. So what we do here with puck support. So I got this clothing line. So I'll turn my two around. We put a name in, in every uh, of one of these hockey players that have passed yeah. away. My, my friend actually just passed away on, on Christmas um, of an overdose. The guy that played in the BC hockey league and, um, like in sweatshirts, we just put it away. Like you can't see cool. it. You can't see it when you wear it, but it's there, right? And um, a lot of the family members have stuff. And for example, there's a, a sorry for people. People know this story, but it's important that I share it all the time. And and get, like Daniel Miner, uh, for example, played for the Barry Colts. Um, he was uh, very good close friends with Rich Clune, and um, he passed away uh, last spring to an overdose. And I didn't, I never met him, uh, but I was able, I've been able to connect with his family, and they uh, invited me to a celebration of life, which was in August because they put it off because of COVID. And when I showed up there, like I knew that a lot of people from that that area had ordered puck support stuff. We put his name on it. Like we don't it's all random the names but if it's a family member or friend yeah. of course we're gonna put that name on it but it's completely random if somebody just orders because to me they're all they're all is just as important whether it's bob probert or you know jeremy or mitch or they're all yeah. it's all the same but daniel his family and friends they ordered a bunch of stuff i had no idea showing up to this celebration of life that when i got there there was gonna be like 40 or 50 people all wearing puck support stuff all with the daniel Meyer pulling me aside and they were at mother's day they you know i'm sure his mom and dad may be watching now if they're not i know they're watching or listening later shout out to tom and michelle and um, you know, it's just a way that that these name these these individuals uh, will never ever be forgotten, and and some of these stories like you just never hear of. And I'll share this one with you. It's just they're all so sad, Chris. But while I have you here, I gotta I want to share with you this one. I always I do talks with teams now, Zoom, like you know, with young hockey yeah. players and share my story. And I always share this one. So this is two brothers, Nick and Jack Savage. And anybody watching or listening, you may have heard of this. If you haven't, you can uh, you can Google search Nick and Jack Savage if you'd like. And these two young men went to a high school party. The one, the oldest brother was graduating and they went to a party and they both experimented with drugs in the, in the same night and they both passed away. Brothers. No way. Two hockey players. Yeah. And uh, like 16 and 18 years old. And um, it's just, it's unbelievable. And so when I look at this stuff, Chris, and like I hear like, you know, injuries, like injuries are a part of life and certainly a part of sports, right? Um, how, like, how do we, how do we get the tools in the hand so that, you know, I, I was never educated. So I got injured and, you know, prescribed pills. I was already on the, the path of addiction. I don't blame doctors or this, like, I, I think it was going to happen maybe regardless, but at the same time, when I was given these pain pills, I was never really given the speech saying, Hey, this could happen. This could happen, whatever. And I didn't do any due diligence on checking what the stuff was because I was so trusting of these figures who were doctors. And I think, you know, look at our society today. Like we're putting so much faith into, into people and, and sometimes, um, you know, things like, addiction can happen or whatever, which starts with this, a, an injury and, and you think you need it for your pain, but all of a sudden it starts to kill your emotional pain. And then it takes you into a life of hell and sometimes it ends up costing you your life. So um, I thank you for, for sharing that with me. I didn't know that you played with Jeremy and, and, and that's uh, it's awesome. It's so sad that he's gone, but it's, yeah. it's nice to hear uh, a connection because I haven't had anybody on the show that's, um, you know, that has played with them or at least brought it up. So it's really cool to, to kind of tell you that. And I would love to get you a hat or something. I know you're wearing your clever hat. We're going to get into that here, but I would love yeah, to get I, you. I would love, I would Man. love to rep Jeremy. I know I talked to his dad r really soon after it happened and 
um, just to see, you know, how it happened and where, you know, what happened basically. And, you know, you hear the pain of these parents. It's, it's fucking horrible, man. Yeah. Like, I have kids and it, it is horrible. Like literally talking to them and talking to Ted Wiest and, you know, hearing the pain in them is just, it's, I, I don't know. It's, fucking terrible period so yeah it's so true and like i've had unfortunately i've had to have so many of these conversations over the last two years and it just actually the one, the one guy sorry to cut you off oh, yeah. the one guy rick Rippin, i grew up with as well uh he was like an idol to me so uh rick funny story when i was like peewee i got called up to play i think it was peewee i got called up to play and he was two years older than me so i was playing on his double a team and he just walked over to me and he's like, anyone messes with you, just let me know. And he was my size, man. He was like, talk about a small guy for his age at the time. It was Rick Rippin, right? So I, uh, I, I've known Rick for a long time and I, I got to go to the funeral. And obviously Mark Rippin, his, oops, sorry, Mark, yeah, his, his uncle sharpened my skates. He owned Players Bench in Lethbridge since I was five years old. Right. Oh. And he called me the master since I was five because of uh, how I stick handled the puck. Mm -hmm. so he's always when i'd walk in he's like the master's here the master so i don't know what rips up to anymore uncle rip so um but i know the family well so yeah there's there's a lot of uh guys that um i know and you just send your love to them all like look at and then and honestly like there's i could probably put there's like 10 to 15 more that i need to put in there and that's you know you see clay in there and jeremy and Rick, and it's just, it's, it's so, it's so tragic. And again, I think when I look at these issues, I don't think like hockey is to blame by any means. Like you don't have to look too far outside of hockey to realize that this stuff is just a part of our society. But I think with hockey, what it does is it provides a very unique vehicle to try to bring these two worlds together. And like when guys are falling off and I've seen it happen to me and I've seen it happen to so many others where they fall off and they get disconnected from the game and they feel like, you know, they don't have their hockey family anymore. The guys support and it becomes hard because some guys will start to go down a path. And at some point you can't really be a part of their everyday life if they're going to go this way. So how do we find that, that network of support so that guys and girls who are involved with the game, parents, coaches don't get lost and there's somewhere for them to go and, and kind of feel like they're still part of a team. And that was kind of the idea for puck support, but we're, we're, we're currently working on the charitable side of it. I'd love to tell you about it some other time yeah, and kind of show sure. you what, what we have going on. It's pretty awesome with some pretty cool people. And, and we just want to make a, make a difference in the world of hockey. And uh, I think there's a lot of other people and, and organizations that are trying to do similar things. And we just want to align and, and try to just be there for people when they need it. Before we get into the Clever app, because that's really, I know we, we got to get going here. I Just tell us a little bit about the experience of winning a Stanley Cup and not one, but two and, and uh, how much fun it was down in those uh, the parades in Chicago because it just looked like too much fun. And I know you won. though. I, you didn't win the one with Andrew Ladd wasn't there. That was the year before, right? No, I won with Laddie. He's a good oh, you did, Ladd. So yeah, I yeah. grew up training with Ladder, so he's coming on the show here soon as well. So Yeah, and he's actually an investor in Clever. So okay. He, yeah, yeah. He's, uh, he's supported our company a lot, and he supports a lot of youth, you know, mental illness in the youth. and 1616.org, check and, it out. Yeah, and uh, obviously donate there and – he uh, he's supporting our app and our app's supposed to be a free app for the youth athletics community. So uh, yeah, he's, he's incredible. Uh, me and actually Andrew played on maybe one of the better third lines in, in the league with me, Boland and lad. And that's yeah. that's right. That's and, right. Uh, 
it was a really good third line. I thought we all added a little bit different elements to a line. But if you look back at the stats, we all, you know, Bowen had 16 points. I had 14. So how many times do you have your 13 or your third line have 16 and 14 points in a playoff run? Right. So we had a lot of depth. We we played hard. Um, but that cup in 2010 to me is still, you know, they're all still some of my best friends. They're all some of the best people that uh, I know. And again, we stay, we stay in touch quite often. And um, yeah, that 2015 one was a little different. I wasn't as big of a key cog in the wheel to it. I got hurt a little bit. I wasn't playing well. Well, I broke my hand prior to the playoffs and I uh, wasn't playing as well, but then I got to come in and play in the entire, or I played in the finals and helped set up a goal in game five. So it kind of made me feel like I did end up contributing to the 2015 cup run. But um, the, the 20, the 2010 one for me is just, you know, 49 years, my whole life and career went into that moment. Everything I worked for, um, every day of grinding in the gym at the ice, taking the hits just for that 2010 moment. And then to hand the Stanley cup to my grandfather in the backyard, it's the most emotional, emotional, emotional moment of my life an emotional photograph i have you know i look at it still and i could cry and automatically so that uh that's why 2010 to me is just it was it it was like we were a brotherhood everything even that doesn't take away anything for 15 we were as well but 2010 it was like a brotherhood right like just of people and friends that love to be together and win together yeah i just i remember i remember watching that team it just you could see it right like you could see it from from an outsider's perspective that there was like literally no stopping you guys that year it was yeah. just it was a very well-oiled machine with all the right parts uh pretty cool though man to win a stanley cup I, aside from the picture of you uh passing your grandpa the cup tell me do you have this one framed somewhere in your house yeah down in the basement of course yeah. you do yeah, yeah. Of course. So we have like a couple my wife like i would never frame anything like I'm never going to take time out of my day, but my <laughs> wife frames a couple pictures. So it's pretty cool. She has them down in the basement. <laughs> That's cool. So tell me a little bit about winding down your career before we get into the clever app. You're, you're just recently officially retired from pro hockey. Your last season over in uh, Czech. Was it Czech? It was Slovakia. With Slovakia. So yeah. yes, they're two separate countries now and, and you're over there for a few games and, just a couple of years ago, 1920 season. Um, you mentioned you played with your brother. Was that a deciding factor? Was was he on that team and that's why you went there? And then you knew after that, Chris, that you were done with hockey. And did you have an idea in what direction you were going? Were you one of the guys that planned for retirement, not just financially, but mentally, emotionally, and try to have something to focus on a routine, et cetera, et cetera, you know? Yeah, I definitely planned for retirement at the end of my career. And that's probably why I didn't play as good at the end of my career because when you're that checked out in the sense you're not fully checked into the game and that's that's how you got to play right so for me um 2018 i did my first broadcast hit so i retired from the nhl i didn't retire sorry i didn't have a deal in the nhl and i wasn't doing anything and the flames asked me to come out i ended up doing two games and um i was with ryan leslie and i actually liked doing broadcasting so i thought i could get into broadcasting so i started to you know, go on Instagram and practice doing like call over clips and things like that, just as a little practice to see if people yeah. liked it. And that's where uh, 2019 came along and I was playing in Europe. I actually was in Slovakia. I, I got hurt when I was in Slovakia. I then got healthy and ready to play in the Spangler Cup, played really mm -hmm. good in the Spangler Cup. But in the gold medal game, I broke my foot, like my arch. So that's that's where I was out for two more months and I didn't do anything for two months. I couldn't even walk on it. 
And then finally I was starting to get better, but I wanted my last ever game to be with my brother and I wanted to go play in Nitra. So I flew back to Nitra in the start of March. This is during COVID and I play, I literally land, I have one practice, I drive to Budapest and I end up, my brother scores, I think a goal and we assist on two goals together that game. And then after the game, my foot was full fucked. Like, like yeah. I couldn't even step up because the arch, the way it was cracked, it was splintered in two. So when you press on it, it's still yeah. like it's breaking open. So that's where I just told the team, I'm like, I can't, I can't do this anymore. And a couple of days later, um, COVID ended the season. So uh, I flew home and that's kind of how it ended. It, I mean, COVID didn't end my career. I knew I was kind of done after that year anyways. It was just sucked that I couldn't play a couple more games in Nitra and with my brother because I loved it. But yeah, I, I tried to plan and start to understand what I could do after the game near the end. That's well, hey, man, at least you kind of got to go out on your terms and, and had a pretty awesome moment to end your career. And uh, it happens to every hockey player at some point in time. And, you know, you got two Stanley Cups, you got to end playing with your brother it, and seems like you're prepared for life after hockey. And uh, tell us a little bit about the Clever app. Uh, I have a video I'm going to share with with uh, with people watching. Sorry, if you're listening, you can go back and check it out. Um, tell us a little bit about where the idea came from, how long you've been working on it and what it is, Chris. Yeah. So again, in March, when we retired a little bit after that, some parents generally between the eight and age eight and 10, they wanted to send me clips, whether it's a shot or even just like a clip of like a play. And they wanted me to take that clip. They wanted to send it to me. Uh, they wanted me to edit and annotate it, meaning draw over it, voice over it, and then send back to them. So I started using huddle and all these, these uh, clunky platforms. And I was like, man, first off, I'm paying a lot of money. I'm going to have to charge the person pay or asking me for this so much money. And I'm like, why, like, why isn't there anything that just efficiently allows you to take a clip, uh, send it to someone, edit, annotate and send back. So that's where I align myself with my brother. Again, he's a defenseman. So he has a little bit different view than I do. And Josh McNevin, he's the coach of the Clona Rockets. Cause he has that. Okay. Mind. Yeah. So what we did is we, we were the first three founders and we envisioned building this product. We went through like a, yeah. Yeah. So he's the coach of the Kelowna Rockets. And what we did is we went through like a little bit of a phase where we talked to coaches, athletes, and parents about what's not out there. And they kept running into the same thing. There's too much video on their phones. There's nothing that allows them to do this. So that's what we did. We ended up uh, contracting a company. And then after the contract with the company was up in two months, the guy left to become our full-time CTO. So we've been working on the product since October, 2020, and we officially launched in December of 2021. And uh, yeah, so we've been live on the app store for a little over a month now. And what we did is, again, we we allow you to streamline the clip, edit and share process. So a parent could hold their phone up for five minutes. And if nothing happens, get your, get out of the camera. That's not saved. But say if you're recording your kid for five minutes and after he scores a goal, you just tap the K button. It goes back 15 seconds and it deletes the, the rest, the first four minutes and 45 seconds. And then you can keep recording. So at the end of an hour, you only have, you know, 20, 30 seconds of video, you don't have an hour of video, right? And then you could share it to coaches or coaches could instantly share it. So that's what we've done. And it's a free app. The current version's free. And that's what I wanted to do. I saw like, you see how expensive hockey was then. It's crazier now. Yeah. And I just wanted to uh, figure out how we could get kids pro tools, right? Of all, of all skill level, of all walk. How can we get of any sport kids the opportunity, have the ability to instantly capture something like the pros, 
coaches to coach over it like the pros and share it. So that's what we've done. And it's an exciting platform. And I we just, I we have it. a couple of questions coming in. Uh, my buddy Brody's watching. He's wondering, curious if the Clever app is coming to Android. Yeah, six to eight months. That's kind of like eight the, months. Yeah. Perfect. Okay. So I want to show you guys a, a video here because I'm on the Clever app. I haven't, uh, I've just been kind of trying to, you know, figure it out. But I got my little guy's three. I'm going to be using it for all his videos because, I mean, again, and mine when I'm out there because it is. It's super annoying even to have to, even if you're not doing the annotations and the, and breaking all of it down, even if you're just videoing, it's annoying to have to go back and, and figure out where you were. It's a recording for an hour and it takes, three hours to sometimes clip a 30 second reel like exactly so, so yeah, it's you, can, you can take it and sh take the video of your kid even just chewing food at the table and you could send it out of the platform uh, through text message and uh you know google drive anything in a second too it doesn't have to just stay in our platform right that's awesome okay let's take a let's take a quick look at this video we just i just put a couple of clips together but it gives you guys a pretty good idea at least uh, a good place to start I like to work on my punch turns. So what I do first is that I like to work on my lead leg scraping on the ice. Then after that, I do a few punch turns. Yeah! All right, here's a couple things to look at. You're bringing the stick back a little too far this way. You want to bring it a little more upright so when you're bringing it down it's coming at the puck let me show you that again you're bringing it more around you're going to bring your stick a little higher so your arms come up a little more and again you're leveraging into the puck like that let's see what contact here So you see your blade open a bit here too. I can see that you're, you could be changing the direction of your shot or trying to get it off the ice. Try to cup your blade over just a tad bit more. So it comes over the puck. And I like where you're looking. You're looking where you're shooting. Very good. Overall, good job, good weight transfer. Biggest thing I'd see though is the stick. awesome man like look at that do you see those little kids that yeah six-year-olds can, can use it that's what i was saying like so we have uh, my team they send clips directly from the camera right into our team group i can then take the clips edit send it back to a parent like that the kids can now they can come on they can tap the the group they're a part of they could just see all the clips that the parents put in they can watch their own they can watch their team uh you can have family groups and again you can have 50 groups you don't have to have one or two we don't you know what i mean so that's what we wanted to do. We wanted to just create something super simple to use. And we just want everyone to clip edit and share. That's the biggest thing, you know, and, and be able to basically save very, very memorable moments. 
It's uh, it's pretty exciting. How's it how's it been for you um, on this side of things now? Because I know it seems like you're really passionate, obviously, about hockey, but about giving back and being, uh, you know, essentially a coach. This now gives you the opportunity to coach kids all around the world and, and kind of break it down for them. And when I see it, when I first saw it and I'm seeing you, you're able to draw the thing, I'm like, he's like the new Howie Meeker. Like Chris Versieg is like the new Howie Meeker. He's like Howie Meeker's the first one drawing those lines. Remember when we were kids yeah, on yeah. TV? Howie yeah. Meeker. I'm like this is brilliant, and to have it all in an app, I think it's it's just crucial for for parents moving forward. And again, it's not just hockey. It's not just sports. You you could use it for anything. How's it uh, How's the transition been? Are you in just something you're uh, enjoying and and kind of learning on the go, or how's it I'm been? Learning on the go. You're 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 right about that. So as you know, in hockey. Um, there's not many ways or programs to transition you efficiently, right? There's no, they're not like putting me behind a CEO to learn from a CEO or how to be a COO of a company or any of that. Like this has been a lot of blind, a blind process, but also trusting people that have been in this situation before to help me through it. So I definitely have leaned on a lot of my advisors and people who've been here before that have def- have helped us a lot, right? They've helped us to get to here. Um, other things that I never knew of, like I never knew what, again, a scale, a scale was before. I thought a scale was something you stood on. I didn't know you actually have to scale a company like a year ago, right? Like there's just so many things that we don't get taught. And then when you leave hockey, it's just like it's thrust upon you. So um, what we actually have done is we do have a lot of ex or not ex athletes, athletes that are currently playing. I have them come to meetings with me. And they, they come to a product meeting or they come to like a scrum meeting and they learn a little bit about business and what it's like. And I want them to see, like, do you like doing this? Do you want to be a startup company or do you want to get into business or do you want to like kind of do what I'm doing in a sense with yourself? So that's what we've kind of been trying to do with athletes who've played before. Oh, you can see my wife's in the background. So that's what she, Hi, Brittany. You're, you're live, Brittany. Um, so, so that's what we've tried to do is bring athletes in and, and put them in a position that they can now see and learn from what I'm doing, even though I need to keep seeing and learning way more than I know at the moment. So if there are any athletes out there interested in ever coming on a meeting and checking out and seeing, you know, especially if you're still playing, if you ever want to be involved or even help us, you know, like right now, maybe in the future we can do some sales or something. If we can hire ex athletes to do sales for us or, or anything, that's even a big part of what we want to do. So uh, give back to the athlete, give back to the youth athlete. And I still, again, back to the business side, I got a long way to go. I got a lot of questions I ask every day. It's crazy how much goes into it. And it's crazy how many balls are in there, just even raising capital in order to make this thing get as big as we want it. And that's currently what we're doing right now is trying to raise enough to make sure that this thing gets to enough people as possible. And yeah, it's just a, it's an interesting process to say the least. And I've learned, I've learned a ton in basically a year and a half. Well, it's, it's awesome. And that's sort of similar. I've had to do something similar on this and just trying to figure things out. It, you know, it's, it's going down a new avenue, but it seems like you're doing uh, exceptionally well and you're working closely with your brother on the project too. Right. And yeah. um, so that, where's he living now, by the way, is he in? I have two brothers. So well, Mitch, goes, yeah, Mitch. on the project. Yeah. So Mitch, Mitch and Josh are the original visionaries of, ah. yeah. And Mitch is playing in Idaho. He ended up going back that's to play. Right. Again, right. like we can't pay anyone clever besides our, pro, our development team. Right. Like that's all who we're paying right now. So Mitch has gone back to playing in Idaho. Uh, Josh, 
again, coach of the Clone Rockets. And my other brother's the one with the NBA. So he's the one we really leaned on with like business. And he's the one who does the performa or projections and things like that of wow. and models. So he's helped us, I mean, insane amounts on the business end because none of us know <laughs> that, right? So um we're the four we're the four founders, right? And then we also have our CTO who's now a fifth founder of the company. Um, and he's been there, he's been a part of two massive startups in the past. So having his knowledge and guiding us through as well, building the tech for us is incredible. Well, we got a couple of people anyways, downloading it right now. And uh, a few people waiting for it on Android, wait six to eight months yeah. is not too long. And uh, that, do you think that when you get to that point, is that when it can really, is that the next step for it to, to take off? And, and what can we do? Like, what can I do as somebody who likes the app um, aside from using it? Like, what can people do to try to help people understand that, hey, there's this great application out there that's available for you guys to use? Like, what's yeah, that's, the best way? that's a big part of this, right? Like, we don't have a marketing team. We don't yeah. have a marketing budget. Like, a lot of it's just coming from my Instagram right now and pushing it out. So the biggest thing is, um, customer feedback. That's number one. Like if you start to use the app and you're like, I wish there was a button here, or I wish it could do this, please tell us. Cause we can actually do it. Like yeah. we, like these developers are, they create, <laughs> they, they create magic, man, on the phone. It's crazy. Like whatever you can think of, they can do it. So customer feedback's number one. So please reach out to Mitch at clever.ai. Um, he's the one who will take in all the customer feedback and we'll decipher it and see what we can put in our, our product roadmap in order to build into the app. We have a couple of real cool coaching features coming out in the next couple months. And we also have the crowdsourcing area where we're going to have like ex NHLers like Patrick Weirkoch, myself, um, Wojtek Walski and any coaches out there interested in being part of this reach out. But the idea is create almost like a cameo type for, for athletics. So now you could reach out to Chris Versteeg, you could send me a, a clip of your kid's shot for 40 bucks. I could edit and annotate and send you back that clip. Whereas before you'd never have access to an athlete like me, or if I was to do it, I'd be charging you between four and five grand because the current sport tech only allows you to do it in this clunky, expensive way. So wow. we're hoping to like do it real efficiently and not do like full games. Like, Hey, you, you could reach out to Wojtek Wolski maybe and ask him to look at your D zone face off. And 10 minutes later, you know, I don't know what he'll charge. It's up to each coach to charge what they want, but he can now send you a clip back like real fast. Right. So create that crowdsourcing area for coaches. That's incredible. I never even thought of that. That um, it's great for you guys, but how awesome is that to have access to player like guys who have done it? Like, yeah. you know, I think as a, it's different now because we have these tools, you've developed a tool now to do it. But I remember, you know, as a kid, like you said, we, we'd have to watch highlights or Rock'em Sock'em or whatever. We didn't have access to players. I, I, I can't even tell you. I think I watched like two NHL practices in my life. Never talked. I talked to like three NHL players my whole life until I actually became a somebody in, in hockey in the dub. And now my coach was an NHL player. He's like the fourth one I ever met. And it just, it allows, uh, you know, people, kids, whoever, this access to to people who have been there with lived experience and why I think that's so important is because it's not always just about the hockey. A lot of it is we need to critique this and that, but there's there's more to it. And you can also maybe potentially lean on them for something like that. Right. And it just opens those doors. And, um, you know, I just I think back to when people with lived experience for me in my life have been uh, way more helpful than people who have, say, read something in a book or, um, you know, not done it themselves. So, man, I'm super excited uh, to see where this goes. And I'm going to be pumping out videos 
goes on there and, and everything I can do. I'm not huge by any means, but make a make a difference and, and hopefully we can get people on there. And I'm not doing it because I, you know, I'm doing it for you. I actually went through the app. I don't do stuff. If I don't like something, I just won't, I won't do it. And I, I went to your app and I'm like, this is genius. Like this is, this is actually genius. And I can't even imagine how many parents' phones are just loaded to the nines with, you know, running out of storage. I run out of storage every day in my phone. Every day, every single day. And I'm like trying to delete stuff and then, yeah. oh, it's annoying. So amazing. Tell me a little bit about where you're going. Um, if you don't mind, are you public about where you're going after this or how, how do you go about this? Uh, what do you mean? Sorry. Like, where you're going after this show? Why did we have to like, Oh, sorry. Yeah. So I'm gonna, so I think around two or two thirty, we were told it's delayed. We're going to go uh, to the trucker convoy and support them on the roads, driving through on the way to Ottawa. So to me, it's important. It's important that uh, we go support them and uh, we cheer them on what they're doing for us and for the freedom uh, for everyone is is huge. It really is. Some people don't think, but uh, the way it's been covered, obviously the slander they're taking, the unrightful slander uh, is not good. And there's a lot of um, people fighting for the right reason, right? Like you can go into any group and crowd and find like one or two people in there and try to smear an entire group with one or two people. But the overall group of those people and everyone coming out to Ottawa, uh, I want to go there and support them driving through on way. Yeah. And I, I mentioned to you earlier that, you know, I would love, I'm still I'm trying to find a way how I can be in Ottawa tomorrow. And, you know, I, I made a TikTok video, you know, there's a trucker convoy and, uh, you know, and I just like stitched the video and I was just like cheering them or whatever. And it's, you know, and I knew I was going to get a little bit of flack for it. People like, you know, I support your recovery journey, but I can't support an anti-vaxxer this and that. And I was like, stop your, stop yourself right there. Like, it's not even what this is about. And so I think it's really important that if people don't know what the trucker convoy is about and you're just hearing it from outside sources, do yourself a favor and go to their GoFundMe page and read why they're doing it, who's doing it. A lot of them are vaccinated. It's not even about that. It's about us coming together and and simply, you know, asking a question or demanding some change. Um, because I, I'll be honest, Chris, man, like it's a scary world right now. And I don't get into a lot of this stuff uh, on this show. Um, I typically wouldn't ask anybody, but I know that you've been vocal about it. Uh, on the Instagram, you actually posted a very powerful video um, about the MP down in the city somewhere talking about the number of overdoses. Um, and I, I reposted that video and, and just the trajectory that he knew and, and, and it was even so much worse. Uh, there's so much more going on in the world um, than just, you know, this vaccination and everything else that's going on. And so many people are focused on that. And what I see from the conversations that I've had and friends that I've lost in this last two years people who were clean and doing well, but now fell into this trap because their gym was taken away, their meetings were taken away, their hockey was taken away, whatever it was. And now their whole entire support system was pulled out from under them. And now they're left alone. And now that, they're not, some of them are not my yet. best friend's brother, same thing. And he's gone now. So I know 10 people, right? 10. And, um, it was nine the other day. It's 10 now. And, um, support systems are everything for people. Again, like I support everyone who wants to go get a vax or whatever. Right. And a lot, like you're talking about the truckers going out there. A lot of them are right. This isn't about anything anti, but that's just how a lot of it's been portrayed. But at the end of the day, do your research on it. Like really do do your research and understand what it's about. Um, 
um, there's, there's been a lot of divisive talk, like a lot of divisive yeah. talk. And a lot of people have done their part. We've, a lot of us have done our part, right? And now it's time to move on and it's time to protect the people who need it, right? And it's time yeah. to protect those who need it. We understand who needs to be protected. Um, and even there's going to be, there's a mental health crisis on the way as well. Like there's a lot of people, I know 10 year olds, 11 year olds who can't get help. They can't get any help right now, right? They've had hockey taken away from them for a full year. Um, it's, it is hard, hard. It's a hard pill to swallow. And you, you got to look at this of just not one way to help one group of people. You got to help everyone right now. Right. And you got to find ways to try to, to get to them. So again, I'm fully supportive. Uh, like, again, I'm fully supportive of everyone in this mm -hmm. situation. Yep. And I, and just, I too. yeah. And I, I don't, I don't think you have to look at this as one micro, you know, this is the only way that's going to fix. Like we're, we're past that now. Like my friends in the States, kids in Minnesota, like they played more hockey. They played 75 games in 2020, 2021, my one buddy's hockey school. You know, uh, Chicago found a way to get kids on the ice more. In, in Ontario, they keep dialing this back and taking away. I know some kids over three years who've played 40 competitive hockey games in the winter. 40. You know what I mean? These are like AAA kids that they're not even trying to get on and hockey's everything. Like I grew up, you know, like what would I have done back in the day? That's what I keep thinking about. Like we're not even trying to help our children, especially in youth athletics. This isn't just hockey yeah. across all you, like they've taken extracurriculars out of school completely. A lot of the time, like no volleyball, no yeah. basketball. Like what are we doing to yeah. these children? Like this is their world. And now they're just going home and sitting inside. Um, and I, and I do think there's going to be an issue with OCD coming out of this too, right? Man, the, the ramifications coming out of this for children, uh, you know, honestly, like some kids are, are I know, are like scared. Like there's, they are scared. Yeah. And uh, they're, you know, the people, you can go in the grocery store. It's like, you can't even go near somebody. Oh. Some people just freak out. And, um, you know, and it, it's just like, really, I, I just, I look at it as, you know, I understand that something's going on and something needs to be done, but I'm right there with you where it cannot be, I, we can't just be isolating everybody. We need, they, they now know who it affects mostly, who it doesn't, and, and what kind of solution moving forward can, can we come up with. And Here's the last thing I want to touch on, yeah. Brady. When's the last time Doug Ford, like, think about, I don't know, like, has he gone to the gym? Has he ate healthy? Has he, like, I don't know. These are things I want to know. Because if he has not done that, when's the last time he has told people to get fit yeah. or to exercise or to take vitamin D because of vitamin D deficiency, right? Like, I'm not saying that's the only way to, to solve this either, but like what is going on is like, like even Justin Trudeau, like, like this guy, man, like, is he kidding me? The divisiveness that he's put into the people for no reason, right? Like when's the last time he's come out and said, Hey, make sure you go out for a walk today and, and take your vitamins and, talk to people that love you and be around no matter what their opinions are. Mm -hmm. And critical thinking comes from having difference of opinions and making and deciphering a decision, right? Instead of just thinking one way about something. So that's where I just look at the leaders and they are, they have let us down horribly time and time again. And then even this Stephen DeLuca clown <laughs> him coming out, this Ontario guy from the, the liberal party, and I'm talking Andrea Hor Horwath or whatever, Horvath. I don't know her name. Like, these people are clowns, man. And Doug Ford's a clown. Like, they are clowns. And they have no other solutions to help people, right? They are 
they're clowns and that's all i got to say about them <laughs> well honestly i'm i i i have to agree with you i i couldn't sit here and, and let you say that and if i didn't agree I'll debate, I, and i'll debate any of them too i'll go live and debate any of them i would love to see it dude i think you'd rip them apart to be honest i said I, I will debate any of them on this subject on any of it and they won't do it right and they'll be like oh he's just a dumb hockey player he doesn't know anything so that's the biggest thing is like we got to take care of everyone and especially you know i look at it as the youth athletes because i have some and i take care of them all the time and i talk to a ton all the time and you take care of puck support because you can't you can't focus on everything either right yeah so just take care of everyone man everyone love everyone like will ferrell said <laughs> it's, it's a simple a simple answer it's not going to fix everything but it's certainly the right way to to approach it anyways richard green up watching i think you might have crossed paths with him in the uh, leafs organization he's a friend of mine nice, uh, nice to meet yeah. you yeah, no, he, yeah, you played, I think you crossed paths him at Leafs camp. He was drafted, uh, or maybe Chicago, which one greener you're watching right now. I think he was drafted by, uh, by Chicago and then traded to the Leafs. I might be wrong, Green. He's messaging me, texting me right now. He's going to yell at me, but, uh, he's watching down there. Okay. Listen, Chris, I'll let you go, man. Well, we got to do this again. If there's anything coming up for clever or, or whatever, I'll keep pumping it out here, whatever I can do to help you. And, uh, I would love to do this again, man. And maybe someday we can, we can get on the ODR together. Awesome. Um, we're not far, we're not far from each other. Uh, and, uh, I thought, I th what did you ever get a reaction? I got to ask you posted a video said, Hey, team Canada, like, Nah, like, Shane didn't call. He he he's right though. I'm I'm like 150 pounds right now. I'd get killed out there. <laughs> it was just a joke. It would have been could have been fun though, right? Could have been fun. I'll throw some sauce from the half wall if they need me, but that's about it. I can still picture you doing that at, in the dub playing for Lethbridge, just lighting us up straight up. I could I could vividly see it, and then I see the running man. Yeah, in the background. Oh, oh my god, that thing used to drive me crazy, man. I was like, yeah. what is? Anyways, okay, buddy, listen, have a good day. Go support those truckers. Scream a little bit for me, too, and everybody else who's supporting them. He got drafted by the Leafs. Sorry. <laughs> oh, the Leafs. Yeah, yeah, I remember the name for sure. So, sorry, Greener. Yeah. yeah. So, but yeah, man, good. Uh, have fun today. Go support those truckers. Good luck with Clever and whatever I can do to help. And yeah, uh, love to do this again, man. Let's get together so you can send me some of the, some of the swag because I'd love to purchase it and get Jeremy's name on it. Yeah, damn rights, man. You bet. All right. Okay, buddy. Keep up the good work. We'll talk to you soon. Later, brother. Awesome, guys. That's uh, Chris Versteeg, two-time Stanley Cup champ, co-founder of the Clever app. Make sure if you're on the App Store, go down, load that right, right now. Right now. You know, before I turn it over to a quick ad for Pride Tape, I want to kind of address what we were just talking about. Because I think it's really important, and I've shied away from a lot of this stuff strictly due to the fact that I didn't want any backlash. Um, and I think that's where a lot of people are at. People are scared to have an opinion because if it's not the one that is to their narrative, uh, we get crucified. And I'm with Chris. I'm not in. I'm not sitting here saying don't get vaccinated, don't do any of that. Um, but where we are in society, the way that I see it, it's very scary. I talk to a lot of people, a lot of people about mental health and addiction, and. Me, myself, know way, way, way more people who have died in the last two years of mental health and addiction-related causes than COVID. I also know way more people who are struggling immensely with mental health and addiction. And 
it's played way more effect on their life than COVID has. And so I'm very sorry for those that have passed away due to COVID. I'm very sorry. I know it's a real thing, but there's also other things going on around us that are having a detrimental contribution to our society and to our people. Sometimes there is another way. There's always another way, actually. And I just want to say that I stand with the truckers. I don't encourage any violence or any crazy protesting, but I stand right there with them. And if you're somebody that doesn't, and now you don't want to watch my show or follow my journey, then that's okay. But I'm completely accepting of every single person out there with where they're at, with this and with anything. Everybody should have pro-choice. Everybody should have pro-choice. And I just don't see that the way things are going uh, is a real solution. And if we all don't start to speak up about it, then we're just going to be bystanders and things will happen so quickly. Things will rapidly change like they already have until maybe there's no coming back from it. So again, if you don't like what I said, or you don't agree with what Chris said, that's okay. I'm not trying to make you change your opinion or anything. I'm just encouraging people to do a little bit of research. Anyways, let's hear from our friends over at uh, Pride Tape, and we'll be right back to wrap up the show. Pocket of Hell and Back is brought to you by Pride Tape. Pride Tape is a badge of support from teammates, coaches, parents, and pros to young LGBTQ players. It shows every player that they belong playing the sport they love and that we're all on the same team. Show your support for teammates, coaches, and fans in the LGBTQ community by wrapping your stick with Pride Tape. Every roll of tape will make an impact in sports and beyond. Inclusion starts with leadership. Check out some of the ideas of how you can get involved at youcanplayproject.org. Check out Pride Tape at pridetape.com. For more information, you can send an email to Aubrey at PrideTape.com. That's A-U-B-R-E-E, Aubrey at PrideTape.com. You can find PrideTape on Facebook.com slash PrideTape, on Twitter at PrideTape, and at PrideTape on Instagram. PrideTape thanks all of you for being champions for change. Go check them out. Follow them on social media at PrideTape. Do your part. Do your part. Shout out the Saskatoon Blades. My dad scouts for the Saskatoon Blades. The Saskatoon Blades hosted the very first Pride Night in the Western Hockey League. Amazing. You Can Play Project was there. Pride Tape was there. We can all do more. Hockey is for everyone. Thank you so much for watching, for listening. Please like, subscribe. If you're watching on Facebook, please go over to the YouTube channel, subscribe to it, and watch there because in the near future, Hockey to Hell and Back live on Facebook will be no more. And uh, the viewership made it go down for a bit, but I really want to concentrate it onto one channel. So please, if you can, head over to YouTube. It looks like a lot of you are there now. I want to give a very special thank you to two-time Stanley Cup champ, Chris Versty for sharing an hour with us today in his hockey career, his life, and his venture through Clever. Make sure you check it out, the Clever app. 
only available on the App Store for the next six to eight months, not on Android, but it is coming. We're back on Tuesday night live, 9 p.m., same bad time, same bat channel. Anyways, that's it for me. It's weird doing a show at this time, I'm not going to lie. It's only quarter after 12. We'll see you guys all on Tuesday. If you're having a hard time, please don't give up on yourself. There is a way out. There is hope. There is a better life. Sometimes relying on government resources isn't an option because it takes so long. And they're so underfunded and under-resourced. And now more than ever, we need to start paying attention to these things. And the people in the power need to start doing something about it. Where are we allocating money? We need to start putting it into mental health and addiction because you want to know what? It'll reduce crime rates, hospitalization, everything. 911 calls. It will reduce the impact on our healthcare system, crime, everything. There's ways that we can, you know, adapt society, make changes. We're never going to fix the problem 100%. I've realized that over the last two years, but we can make a significant impact, but nothing changes unless it changes, right? Anyways, thank you all for watching. Be kind to one another, love one another, and remember, have a great day if you so choose. I want the real stuff, everybody listen up Cause I'll only say it once, I'm gonna show you all the path If you want it bad, I'm gonna show you every side Yeah, how you can get it back, yeah, cause I ain't never done I'll be number one, working hella hard until I get just what I want Yeah, rise just like the sun, yeah, fatal like a gun Shooter's gonna shoot and I'm gonna shoot until I fall Let's do it alone, so I gotta get through it And the only thing I know is to love what I'm doing Never give up, never slow till I finally prove it Never listen to the no's, I just wanna keep moving Yeah, I put out all this art, it's my only medicine Yeah, everything I do, I'm just being genuine Yeah, I'm sick of being screwed, feel my own adrenaline Yeah, I do just what I do, and I hope you let me in, let me in, yeah <laughs> Grateful, oh yeah, able, oh yeah, I'm stable, oh yeah, no grateful, oh yeah, you know me, I have only.